Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining us today for Reconciling Grace. My name is Pete Vecchi. I am one of the associate pastors at West Carrollton Church of the Nazarene. On the panel today, as per usual, we have the other three panelists who are Steve Wilson. Steve is a graduate of United Theological Seminary in Dayton. He is a freelance Christian author. Mick Wells is with us. Mick is the president of Wells of Salvation Ministries. He is also the co-host of the Cross Connection Radio Program. And Vicki Cundiff is with us. Vicki is one of the staff pastors at Countryside Church of the Nazarene in Lebanon, Ohio. And I'm going to kind of be taking the uh, lead on this one today on the topic of expecting perfection. So I'm going to start this out with the, the question that really is begging to be asked about expecting perfection. What does soup du jour mean? Oh, isn't that connected exactly? Soup du jour. What is soup du jour? Anybody know? That's soup of the day. Soup of the day. It's soup du jour means of the day. So that's kind of a French term. Lunch special at a French restaurant. Well, yeah, it could easily be that. And, and honestly, soup du jour oftentimes is soup that was made from um, the previous day's special. Honestly, if you want to think about it, that's kind of where the, where the term came from. I don't know if it's done that way today with all the health laws and stuff, but years and years ago, that would be where they would get the, the soup um, ingredients for the next day. So the soup du jour would be the soup of the day. It might be French onion today. It might be uh, beef uh, and noodles or something another day. It might be chicken and rice another day. It's just what what did the chef have on hand? And that's what I talk about. Soup du jour. It means of the day. Now, how does that have to do with expecting perfection? I want to tell you, there are all kinds of things going on in our world today. And this is kind of a difficult topic for me to lead because there are so many thoughts going into my mind and, and trying to funnel them down into one specific um, thought, train of thought, I should say, is going to be somewhat difficult. But I'm just thinking about all the things that we have seen people accused of, we have seen people um, exposed in their lives of certain sins, things that have happened in their lives. And I'm talking about people who are in the public eye. I'm talking uh, since the beginning of the year 2019, we have seen government officials accused of everything from sexual harassment to racism. Um, these kinds of things are horrible. They're not good things. Can we all agree that those are bad things? Mm -hmm. mm, sure. We all agree that those are bad things. But at the same time, who is perfect? And I think what has gotten to me has been the fact that we're looking at, at politicians especially, but also other celebrities who may have done something wrong, and no doubt about it, it's wrong, but how far back in their lives did they have to go to find this? You know, we're talking about some people who were in high school, and all of a sudden they find out they didn't act right in high school. Well, I tell you what, 
I hope that nobody ever tries to judge me in this life based on all the things I did in high school because, you know what, I wasn't actually a mature adult in high school. I don't know if any of us were, were we? I mean, hopefully we've all matured in that time. Also in that time, um, since high school, I gave my entire life to Jesus Christ uh, in my second year of college. So I believe firmly in my heart that that made a big difference. So I used the term to start soup du jour, soup of the day. That's gotten me to think about the fact that in our culture, have you ever noticed that there are certain things that, especially if you watch the news, that all of a sudden the focus is on this particular issue? Uh, One day it might be racism, and that builds up for you know a week and a half until you hear about the next person who has been uh, accused of sexual harassment. Then the big issue is sexual harassment. And I call these the sins du jour. It's the sin of the day. Nobody is perfect. Well, I was reading something the other day or hearing something the other day, and it was talking about, well, how do we know what sin is? How do we know what it is that is right and what is wrong? Somebody said you can't legislate morality, and I believe it was Chuck Colson, who um, I read a book from a long time ago, uh, the late Chuck Colson now, and he said the question isn't can we legislate morality? He says we legislate morality all the time. The question is whose morality are we going to legislate? And kind of goes back, Vicky, to what uh, the topic you led uh, a few weeks ago about um, Jesus is the ultimate authority. Whose morality are we going to legislate? Are we going to look at these things from human perspective or from God's perspective? And I thought, what better way to start this than to look at what God's perspective is on the things that are right and wrong? So I'm going to have us read from Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 6 through 21, and I've assigned several verses for each person. So Mick, would you pick up with verse 6? Yes, uh, the word says... I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, or on earth, beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. 
You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You shall not set your desire on your neighbor's house or land, his male or female servant, his ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. And those are the basics. They are known as the Ten Commandments. And those aren't words that I am making up. Those are words that are in the Bible. Those are part of the Jewish tradition of the, uh, the law from way back in the time of Moses. So that goes back more than, you know, a hundred years. That goes back more than the founding of this nation. This goes back farther than the days that Jesus Christ walked this earth. This goes way back to the days of Moses. And um, this is what Jeremiah said in um, Jeremiah 11, verses 3 and 4. And these are the words of God that uh, God is saying to Jeremiah. He says, Tell them that this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Cursed is the one who does not obey the terms of this covenant. The terms I commanded your ancestors when I brought them out of Egypt, out of the iron smelting furnace. I said, obey me and do everything I command you, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. And so God is saying there that this was kind of a conditional covenant, wasn't it? You will be my people as long as you follow these things. Now, let me ask you this. Um, we have read those Ten Commandments, and, you know, hopefully none of us have gone on and, and murdered anybody or, or done anything like that. But can anybody here say that they have followed those Ten Commandments perfectly? I mean, especially in light of things that Jesus said. For instance, Jesus said, you know, the commandment says, you shall not murder. But I tell you, if anybody says to his brother, Raka, which is a, uh, a term of contempt, that you have murdered your brother in your heart. Uh, you shall not commit adultery, but if anyone looks at a woman lustfully, that that person has committed adultery in his heart. Now, when we look at it from that standpoint, has anybody here ever lived up to that 100%? Nope. Nope. I don't think we can. I don't think there's a person on this earth that hasn't lied. You know, from the time you're born, you know, you see a baby and it starts growing, become a toddler, and you see that sinful nature just rise up, mm -hmm. wanting your own way, and, and the lies it'll start, and the guilty looks in their eyes, mm -hmm. you know, so we've, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, haven't we? That's right. It is. And yet, these are the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 48. Are you ready for this? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. All order. It is. I mean, how do we do that? How do we do that? Is, is it something that Jesus is saying to us, okay, if you want to follow me, if you want eternal life, if you want to be known as my child, you have to follow all those Ten Commandments perfectly. And not just those Ten Commandments, but let me, let me put a little bit of an explanation on here. You can't even say a bad thing about your, your um, neighbor here. You can't be say a word of contempt. You can't even look at a woman lustfully. 
Um, did you read how, how much the Sabbath laws went to? It's not even that you're not supposed to do work, but don't cause anybody else to work. So if I have to go to the store because I run out of toothpaste, does that mean that I have broken the Sabbath because I ran out of toothpaste and I had to have a clerk sell me some toothpaste? You know, that actually happened to me one time back in the mid to late 1980s at the time in Canada. I was in uh, Toronto, Canada, I believe I was, and uh, it was a Sunday. Well, they had a rule there, or a law, I should say, that the stores were not open for regular purchases. So Yes, I was a tourist at the time, and this was back in the days before cell phones, so you had to buy film to put in your camera. If I wanted to purchase film for my camera because it was Sunday, I could not. But toothpaste was considered to be something that was, that was a necessity, and so you could buy toothpaste. So what I'm saying is sometimes you have to do things on the Sabbath, and I think at one point, even Jesus talked about untying a donkey and leading him to water on the Sabbath. So what is perfection? Well, I tell you what, maybe we're going to talk a little bit more about that after our break. We're back with Reconciling Grace, and we're discussing the topic expecting perfection and the question here is does God expect us to be perfect in this life especially in light of the words of Jesus in Matthew 5:48 be perfect therefore as your heavenly father is perfect and Mick during the break you brought up something about the translation of those words yeah i read some commentary Pete that uh, being perfect um, as your father in heaven is perfect that's a scary statement. It's a scary demand that's a very tall order, and I think it scares people. I did find some commentary by R.C. Sproul, who is a uh, teacher and scholar of the Word, said that um, the word that's translated perfect literally means to be complete, and I think that brings me a little bit of comfort because I know I can't be perfect. So I think the message here is to be complete in our spiritual maturity, relying upon the one who is indeed perfect, capable of staying um, perfect, and our completeness would be through the one who's capable of being complete. Uh, R.C. Sproul said, so often the New Testament and Old Testament describe people as being upright and righteous, not in the sense that they've achieved total moral perfection, but rather that they have reached a level of maturity and a growth in terms of spiritual integrity. But um, I think the key here is to rely upon uh, the God who is perfect and our faith being in the perfect one makes us complete as mm -hmm. Christians. That's right. I, I, I like the fact that that points to Jesus because the question that I had is, can we be perfect in this life? Well, I don't know that we can yet. Jesus was saying we should be perfect or complete. But here's where I get back to the sins du jour. Again, the sins of the day, because when we look at people in this world, both people within the church and without of the, outside of the church, it seems to me that people are expecting everybody to be perfect, whether they're Christians or not. And um, I was looking at certain issues, for example, things that are bad. We all agree racism is bad. And we agree, I think, we do agree on that, don't we? 
Racism yes. is bad. Yes. And everybody here is either nodding or saying yes. And the problem is that I am never, you are never in this world until Jesus comes back. We are never going to eradicate racism in the heart of everybody. However, when you look, for instance, in the United States, racism still exists, but compare it to 50 years ago, haven't things gotten a little bit better at least? I think they've gotten a little bit better. But then, for instance, you look at 50 or more years ago and you look at sexual standards today versus 50 years ago or even 100 years ago, I think things have gotten worse. But the problem is, no matter what, if you are looking at, for instance, a public figure, especially because people know all these these public figures by name, whether they be politicians, entertainers, sports figures, whoever they might be, people are tending to expect perfection. Can we be perfect in this life? I think it's critical to take a look at who's expecting perfection and on what basis. A lot of the people in the media, in the news, I, would, I think it's fair to say, and I don't have stats to back me up, that a lot of them don't even believe in God. So whose standard of perfection, who defined perfection in the standards that they're talking about in the first place? And are they really seeking to honor God with the, the nitpicking and the, the sin du jour uh, approach mm-hmm. to their commentary? I had those same thoughts as far as, you know, the— the um, Bible study that we had on um, Jesus being the ultimate authority and the morality issues, you know, people being their own God. We're not really looking, as a society anyway, in the United States, we're not really looking to God to set the standard. And so people are setting their own standards. And uh, you mentioned certain sins earlier about coming out. And uh, the Bible does say everything that's been hidden in the dark will be brought to the light. And there are, there are so many of these sins that it's good that they have been brought to the light for whatever reason. And, you know, you, you, you just can't hide forever in those things. But then I think that there's other things that people are nitpicking and, and judging on. They're actually looking into people's lives intentionally for the intent to destroy them. And that's certainly not godly at all or not what the Bible teaches us to do. And so it seems like hate and division is what is prevailing in society and people looking for perfection according to their own standards. Mm-hmm really how they can get at somebody. Well, Pete, I was thinking, too, I'm always drawn to this particular scripture in 2 Corinthians 5.10 because it seems to apply to, to everyone, both believers and unbelievers, and, and that's probably a program unto itself. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad, God is the arbiter of what we're doing. No matter what standards are set out there and are spoken of with reference to in the, in the media and the news report, there is a God above that. There is his standard above that to which we're all accountable, even the ones who are expressing these things based on whatever, their own personal beliefs or some narrative. We are accountable to God ultimately. Mm-hmm. I agree with that, and I think he's the one bringing these sins to light. Do we sometimes find that 
there are sins that society deems sinful that are not necessarily spelled out in the Bible. In other words, we're making things sinful that aren't necessarily spelled out in the Ten Commandments. I'm thinking of, for instance, what does the Bible say about nuclear energy? What does the Bible say about cell phone usage and texting while driving? Things like that. One of the sins du jour in our society is don't text and drive. And that's probably a good thing because we're talking about people's safety. Um, but the Bible doesn't say that you're going to be judged by if you text it and drive, does it? It's just, it's just one of those things where we are judged based on you know, how we care for our brothers and sisters, how we care for our fellow human beings, and therefore, if we're putting them, if we're putting them at risk unnecessarily, that's something we might be judged for. Yeah, those are examples I don't think society necessarily looks at in terms of sin or not sin. It's in terms of um, publicly acceptable or unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Well, there are all kinds of things that uh, change culturally, but even so, according to God's standards, no one is perfect, and everyone does need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. So what was the law there for? Why, why did Jesus talk about the law so much? I believe that he talked about it to say, okay, if you want to do it on your own, if you want to try to attain holiness, if you want to try to attain godliness on your own, Here's this Sermon on the Mount. Do it. You know, live that way. Follow these things. Steve, you had brought up something in our, in, our, um, in our break as well about the rich young ruler, didn't you? Right. So the rich young ruler comes up and says, well, what do I need to do to get eternal life? And uh, Jesus engages him in this conversation where the ruler lists out the Ten Commandments. And he says, well, I've kept all those. I'm good, right? I should be able to go to heaven now. And Jesus tightens that net and says, well, if you really want to be perfect, and he uses that language, if you want to be perfect, go and sell all you have and give to the poor. So what I believe Jesus was doing there, and um, this kind of gets a little bit off into the uh, rabbit trails, is I don't think that Jesus was saying in that, that, okay, this means that every single person has to go off and give everything they have to the poor. I think that Jesus was, as you use the phrase, uh, tightening the net. I, I want to say he was he was honing in on that particular person's idol and saying, this money of yours, this wealth of yours is standing between you and God. And you, you rich young ruler, need to do this in order to live for God. Would that be kind of accurate? Are we on the same page there? I think that's a good interpretation. All right. So here's the question then. Everybody needs a Savior, so what's the purpose for this law? As Steve, you talked about kind of uh, of tightening that net, and I have three scriptures that I'd like us to look at. Mick, I'd like you to read real quickly, if you would, Romans 3.20. Yeah, Pete, this is uh, basically saying if we can't keep the law and we acknowledge that, what good is it? And Romans 3.20 says, Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And this kind of goes back to uh, that whole uh, topic that we discussed a few weeks ago about 
um, Jesus being the final authority, because it's according to the works of the law that that we will be judged. And whose law? Well, it's God's law, and that law doesn't make anybody perfect. In fact, it just shows us where we have fallen short. In fact, Paul says in one of his letters that he would not have known what it was to covet until the law said, do not covet, and then every type of covetous desire came upon him. So the law made him conscious of his sin. So, Vicki, would you read to us from Galatians 3.11, please? Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God, because the righteous will live by faith. By faith. What a wonderful word. I was, I was hearing um, in a Bible study just recently, somebody talked about um, Abram, Abraham in the Old Testament and talked about how he walked with God and how he was righteous before God because of what? Because of all the things he did? Did he lie? He lied. Did he... Um, do any other things wrong, like have um, not enough trust and have his uh, wife's maid uh, become pregnant by him? Yeah, but he was righteous. And how does the Bible say in, in I believe it's Hebrews, it says, by faith, by faith. And so, Steve, would you read Galatians two nineteen and 20, please? For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't that wonderful? That is, that is to me, the epitome of the gospel. That is the reconciling grace of, of God through Jesus Christ. He reconciled us to God the Father because he died. And that's the point, is when we give our lives to Jesus, we are free. We are free from sin. We are free, even according to these verses, from the law. But that does not mean that we are free, therefore, to do what we want to do. We are free to follow what God wants us to do. And I am looking at this then and saying, so what does it mean when Jesus said to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. It means that we need to be complete, as you said, Mick. And how are we complete? We are complete by following what Jesus wants us to do and not relying on ourselves, but rather relying on him and his grace. I'm reminded of a uh, of a little story that sometimes plays on Faith and Friends Radio. Um, it's Need Him. I think the the phone number is 1-800-NEED-HIM, and you can call and you can actually talk to somebody there. But the idea of it is that somebody's standing, waiting to get into heaven, and they need a thousand points to get into heaven, and all of their good works, like being a good husband and father, and being a doctor, and saving lives, and running into a burning building, and, and saving a cat— got that person seven points. And he says, well, well, how can I get into heaven then? Well, on your own, you can't. Well, how did these other people get in? Well, they didn't take the test. They relied on Jesus. He took the test for them. And that's what this is about. It's about relying on Jesus. But you know, I think that we need to take into context uh, this verse 
he, instead of just pulling out this one, not that you were, but this is what we're talking about, the perfection, he'd been talking to them throughout the Sermon on the Mount about how they were supposed to live uh, as believers. And in this, uh, like beginning of verse 43, he was telling them, love your neighbor, uh, you, you want to hate your enemy, but don't love them. Um, in other words, he's trying to say to them in the script, uh, scriptures as far as being perfect is that we need to behave like him. And that's where unconditional love comes from. That's how we're perfect is we're behaving like Christ. Right. There's a standard. And this is what the Ten Commandments are about. This, this gives us an idea of this is what God wants. Now, do you want to be judged by how you follow the Ten Commandments? Are you going to be judged by, I believed in Jesus and I tried to live how he wanted me to live? And let's hope we all live how he wants us to live. And, you know, we're getting real close to the end of our time together. So I hope that this has been a beneficial time for us. Steve Wilson has been with us today. Mick Wells, Vicki Cundiff. This is Pete Vecchi. I hope that you don't expect too much perfection except through Jesus Christ. May God bless you. This has been Reconciling Grace. Join us again next time as our panel discusses biblical truths centered around the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ.